Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. But I'm going to talk to us from Psalm 92 this morning. And, you know, Psalms, uh, if you know the book of the Bible that is Psalms, they're actually a group of songs. And they're written to praise God. And so we're actually going to do this next two weeks in song. Um, so <clears throat> there's no, no musos, so I'm just going to go a cappella. No, I can't find the notes, so I'm just going to have to speak. I'm um, sorry, guys. But Psalms, uh, they give you, uh, there's a psalm for every emotion. So I remember Daz and I, we generally do a marriage health check every year. We used to do it every year. It was like a, a service on your car. We'd just go and say, hey, can you give us a bit of a tune-up? What do we need right now? We're, you know, maybe struggling or maybe we're not, but we just want to do the next year well. We haven't done it for a few years. I feel like we're, our car is uh, just driving around town at the moment, so we're not needing to, but we used to put it under intense um, emotional pressure, and so we'd need this very regular health check. And, uh, and I remember... I used to be a very emotional person Um, and at 41 years old I find that I'm not nearly as emotional as I used to be but our our psychologist, our marriage counsellor would say to us there's a psalm for every emotion Um, so if you find yourself in a certain way go to the psalms and you'll find in there someone who validates the emotion that you're feeling. Now, I don't know what happened. I don't know if life knocks you around a bit and you turn down the emotions because you find through disappointment or whatever that you put a few walls up. Or I don't know if I just got a bit mature. (laughs) I'm not sure which one it was or maybe it was a combo of both. But I actually find the Psalms a little bit harder to read now. I love the ones that are full of praise to God. But when I feel like, you know, whoever has written it is having a big whinge, I'm kind of like, oh, all right, come on. But, uh, but I, I read recently that the Psalms are broken up into five books. The book one, and, and they, a group of a bunch of different Psalms, is personal. The book two and three is national. So they're talking from a national perspective. I didn't kind of realise that this Psalm after Psalm after Psalm of lament was actually because they were going through something as a nation. And then book four and five are liturgical. That means that they're concerned with the corporate praise and worship of God's people. Now, COVID has given a bit of a sucker punch to the corporate praise and worship of God's people. I just give full gratitude and credit to Jam and Soph and all the worship leaders in the room for the way that they have to lead God's people through what feels like not much. Um, But I feel like it's good practice in history. Excuse me. (coughs) Sorry about that. Uh, In history, um, you know, people used to get their tongue cut out um, as persecution for being Christians. So I just feel like it's practice for that. Are you still going to praise God if you can't sing? And uh, so that's, that's, you know, we'll all take the opportunity. So I'm going to read through Psalm 92. Now, most of the authors of Psalms are anonymous, but a lot will say by David or by certain musical groups. But Psalm 92 just says, a psalm, a song to be sung on the Sabbath day. A song to be sung on the Sabbath day. Now, that for them was Saturday, but it wasn't just a day of rest. It was a day where they would actually have corporate worship together as well. And it was a delight for them. It wasn't meant to be a duty. Now, obviously, some people would find it a duty. Anyone find singing a duty? Like, I have to, no, no one here, no one willing to admit it. Marie, you look like you're like smirking, but you're like a worship leader, so I'm not sure how to read into that. Um, 
Not a duty, but a delight. The prophets would speak into this for the Sabbath. They would say, uh, they would say that, you know, you guys stop saying things like, we can't wait till the new moon's over or the sun sets so we can sell our wheat again. That's so you're forgetting to actually delight in rest and in worshipping and praising God. That's what rest is meant to do. And I don't know how your Sunday looks or your Saturday looks, but I really want to encourage you to have a, a regular day of your week that is dedicated to rest and also to worship. Not just rest for rest's sake, but for worship as well. So let's read this whole psalm, Psalm 92. It starts verse 1. It is good to give thanks to God, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening, accompanied by a ten-stringed instrument, a harp, and the melody of a lyre. You, lyre, L-Y-R-E. Um, verse 4, you thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. O oh, Lord, what great works you do and how deep are your thoughts. Only a simpleton would not know and only a fool would not understand this. Though the wicked sprout like weeds and evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But you, O oh Lord, will be exalted. Your enemies, Lord, will surely perish and all evildoers will be scattered. You have made me as strong as a wild ox. You have anointed me with the finest oil. My eyes have seen the downfall <clears throat> of my enemies. My ears have heard the defeat of my wicked opponents. But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. And they will remain vital and green." They will declare, the Lord is just, he is my rock, there is no evil in him. Well, let's just go through this psalm, it's so beautiful. Verse 1 to 4 talks about that it is good to praise the Lord. So it's good because he loves it. He loves it when we praise him. I don't know if you ever just feel like you're going through the motions in church on Sunday. But when we worship from our hearts, it thrills the heart of God. And not only that, it's not just good because he loves it. I don't know what's going on there. Um, it's good because he, because it does us good. It does us good to praise God, to lift our eyes from our own circumstance and to praise him as well. And uh, that 10-string instrument, that's a lute. So a lute, and a harp, and a lyre. Wow. Everyone talk among yourselves. <coughs> Excellent. Um, verse 5 says this. Oh, Lord, what great works you do and how deep are your thoughts? What great works you do and how deep are your thoughts? This is echoed in the New Testament in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, where it says, Paul writing here, where he says, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. I love that it starts with talking about how good God is and how, oh, thank you, Soph. Thank you. What a blessing. Um, how good it is, how good God is and how good it is to praise him. Because then if we don't understand everything that's going on, we can still feel that it's okay. Now, we might not always feel like we have all the understanding and I, know I can logically work all this out. And for us humans, and particularly after the enlightenment, we feel like we should be able to. But if God is God and he created the heavens and the earth, 
Wouldn't you think it makes sense that we're not able to wrap our heads around him? Like, why do we think this is such a big deal? Well, I don't understand that. You need to explain that to me because I don't get it. No, no, it comes down to faith. At the end of the day, we've got to have faith that if he is, that he's bigger than us, that he's much more majestic and powerful than us. And and so why would we think that we're going to be able to explain and rationalize everything out? In fact, I would suggest that that's a trap to us and we're leaning into that wanting to have the knowledge of good and evil again, what tempted Adam and Eve in the first place. I'm not saying that we check our brains at the door and say, "Uh, just tell me, preacher, whatever you say, I'll believe. No, 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 ask questions, but really understand that we're not going to get absolutely everything. So that's what... um, verse 6 refers to, only a simpleton would not know and only a fool would not understand this, it's, it's saying you'd have to be a bit stupid to know, to not think or to think that you're going to understand everything. He's bigger than us. He's better than us. He's more creative than us. He's more magnificent than us. So if you think that you're going to wrap your head around it all, you're going to find yourself coming up short. And this is not re- referring to mental capacity. And in fact, I would, I would I'll put to you that some of the smartest people I know trip up in this area where they are like, well, I can't understand that about God, so I don't believe it. Some of the smartest people I know come up with some of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Anyone give me an amen? Um, this isn't referring to mental capacity. It's talking about what you fail to see and what you fail to recognize. You may have heard me make this analogy before, but a couple of weeks ago we had a blackout in Kalala. Was anyone experiencing that with me? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Bella's like, Wi-Fi! Um, what? And, uh, and so um, we had this blackout and we've got the candles going, which is always dangerous in our house. And, um, but we, we went to um, the... We had Katie, she was outside with me, and um, I said, Katie, look up. And, and we looked up and stars, like you wouldn't believe me. I'm, I'm used to that. I grew up in a farm. And Katie was like, oh, my goodness. And she yelled out, look, Belle, come out here. And the lights, street lights came back on. <laughs> and they're like. And, but it was like this, this, all of a sudden, this vastness, this incredible display disappeared with the artificial light that we could see just immediately in front of us. And, and sometimes I feel like we're the turtle or tortoise or snail in Moana, where we're like, shiny! And whatever is shiny just completely distracts us, even though it's artificial and, and takes away from the bigness and the vastness of God. But because we can see it and we can understand it and we can wrap our logical brains around it, we're much more comfortable with that than with the magnificence of what we don't understand. So that is... A street light. Uh, let, me, let me read to you what Samuel Johnson, the scholar, said. Samuel Johnson, on those who ask no more of life than to be carefree. Oh, no, we better go to verse 7 first. Verse 7, though the wicked sprout like weeds and evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But you, O Lord, will be exalted forever. Your enemies, Lord, will surely perish and evildoers will be scattered. This is what Samuel Johnson says about people who just want to be carefree. They just want to live their life comfortable. It is sad stuff. It is brutish. If a bull could speak, he might as well exclaim, here I am with this cow and this grass. What being can enjoy better felicity? Now, I'd challenge that. I don't think a bull would ever use the word felicity. But, um, but, but, but he's saying, you know, like, that, if we're just happy to do whatever, just sit around doing what bulls do and eating some grass... 
then, then that's, that's a less life. Sure, we might feel comfortable, but that's a less life. Now, <clears throat> here we go with the buts. You always got to look for the buts in the Bible. Where's Sandy Irwin? We love our buts in the Bible. I'm sure I saw her somewhere. Okay. Um, Though the wicked sprout like weeds and evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever, but you, our Lord, will be exalted forever. So we're having this, um, this against each other comparisons that the, the evildoers, those who don't trust in God, they don't get to go forever, but God will be exalted forever. forever. Your enemies, our Lord, will surely perish and all evildoers will be scattered. Verse 10, but you have made me as strong as a wild ox. You have anointed me with the finest oil. And just as I'm about to wrap, because Daz focuses on the next few verses in his going forward, you know, it, 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 I love that the psalmist claims his inheritance here. The psalmist says, you have made me as strong as an ox. He exalts God and then he says, but I'm pulling that down to me as well. And I declare that I am anointed and I declare that I have a strength. Now, it doesn't say that so I'm going to be comfortable and my life is going to be awesome, but it says I'm going to go through my life with a difference because of who God is. Uh, My mum used to pray for us when um, we were sick, when we were kids, and she'd always pray like this, uh, Lord, we claim your healing. And even as a kid, I was like, Mum, you're talking to God. Like, what do you mean you claim? But Mum understood that because of what God had done, that she had an authority that she could latch onto and she could say, God, I claim this from you. I declare that this is mine in Jesus' name. And this is what this psalmist is saying, that though everything around me might be going wrong, I claim your strength, God. I claim that I walk with your anointing, God. I claim that I go through my life in a different way to people around me. Okay, verse 11, my eyes have seen the enemy of my, the downfall of my enemies, my ears have heard the defeat of the wicked, and here we go again, but the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, and etc. etc. All right, I just want to focus on one thing, and then um, we're going to go to reflection time. It says here, verse 14, even in old age, they will still produce fruit. I love this, because this is a, yes, come on, die case. Because this is even speaking to a, a physical, and I'm moving away from die case now, a physical um, reality. Like, sure, we see um, old rich men with young wives who are able to go for a bit longer, but the physical reality is that as we go into old age, we no longer physically bear fruit. We become sterile. And we can have a debate about other things that are making us sterile right now. That'd be fun. Um, but let's not. Um, because why um but uh, but you know old age equals sterility but what the psalmist is saying no 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 old age means we keep producing fruit we can keep producing fruit actually and I love this they will remain vital and green there's this picture of flourishing and life-giving nature of the way that we live even as we move into old age and I would declare Dike that that is who you are that you just even as you keep going you're like okay what more can I do who, who, who else can I reach out to who else can I help along the way and that is still producing fruit and that is the picture that the psalmist gives for all of us who would fear God and trust in his righteousness in Jesus name Okay, well, we're going to take five minutes now. For those of you who have never been to the chapel before, we tend to just chat around the table around something that we'd take away from that. Um, but we recognise that some people come to church and don't want to talk to anyone. And so we, you most 
happily feel free not to do anything. You can go to the toilet, you can grab a coffee, you can scroll on your phone and uh, no one will talk to you if that's what you'd prefer. But otherwise, enjoy discussion uh, for the next few minutes before Pastor Daz comes. Well, good morning, everybody. Let me bring you back. It's good to see you on... We're in the middle of school holidays now, aren't we? So it's good to see you on the school holidays. So my job in this service, if you're new to it, is to break it down to help you. How do, how do I live Psalm 92? How do I live something on Monday? And so Bron's there to teach from it, and I'm there to make something of it that you can live. And so when, when I think if Bron had said, um, we can just talk from the Psalms, the verses I'm going to look at would be right at the top of my list if I could choose all the Psalms. Um, so when she said she was doing this psalm, I went, well, this is going to be easy. Um, don't know how good it is, but I'm going to feel good about it. So we'll, we'll see how we go. But honestly, well, the, the verses we're about to reread, just a couple of them that Bron read at the end, they're really, if, if you were to say, what's my heart for you? What's my prayer for you? What, what, what am I hoping for you in this life? The, these verses capture it. This is how I pray. Uh, this, this kind of thought threads my preaching all the time. Um, this is my prayer for you. When I think of my own kids, this is my hope for them, that this would be their reality. And, and the reason I am so passionate about it is I believe it. I believe that absolutely that the words of this passage of Scripture are God's intention for your life and for mine. Now, I understand when you preach, and I'm going to look at the verses of Flourishing, I understand that, the, that it needs to work not only in affluent Australia, but in poverty-stricken India. And so it, it, it can, when it says flourishing, it, you have to take our mindset off it, our, you know, whatever it is, mindset off it, and try and find the biblical perspective of it, which of course is near impossible to do. We all have context, we all have culture. But so let me read and let us get into it. There's in Psalm 92, verse 12 to 15. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will still stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright he is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. The righteous will flourish. Uh, I want to speak about flourishing, how to live a flourishing life in the few minutes that we have. How do we practically live that out this week? The righteous will flourish. I believe that's God's will for, for um, people, especially, obviously, for those who believe. And so um, some, some really condensed thoughts. Number one, just choosing the way of the righteous. Um, uh, listen to these statements about the righteous from Proverbs. For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. Think about that. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. Don't you love the morning sun? I love the morning sun till about nine, and then it's shining way too brightly for skin like mine. But the morning sun coming into its brightness says that's what the life of the righteous is like. Um, blessings crown the head of the righteous. The wages of the righteous is life, but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. 
The righteous will be uh, the righteous desire will be granted. The righteous stand firm forever. The prospect of the righteous is joy. The righteous will never be uprooted, but the wicked will not remain. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by their desires. The righteous person is rescued from trouble. Trouble pursues the sinner, but the righteous are rewarded with good things. Truly the righteous attain life. Attain life. The Lord detests those whose hearts are perverse, but he delights in those whose way is blameless. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous stands firm. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous, the way of the righteous before God. And so obviously the righteous will flourish, the way of the righteous is, is twofold. It is the obvious, the one who has been made right with God. Um, Romans chapter 3, well, made right with God by God. Um, Romans chapter 3, verse 22 to 24. The righteous is given, uh, the, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace. The redemption that um, came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ or Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. May we ever hold true that the gospel is the center. If you're a believer in Jesus, that the gospel is and remains and will be the center all the days of your life, that it would be the unshakable foundation that we cling to and trust in. Jesus' death at the cross, his penalty for our sins. Thank God for that. You know, just write down and pass to the person next to you your most recent sin and just write down what it was, will you? And, you know, I, I'd immediately be uneasy about that. You can get confident and comfortable, and I, I, but if I had to write down my most recent sin, and um, I'd probably make it up, which would make my most recent sin a lie. So what would you... God's made it right. He's the one that makes things right. He, he, and, and you and I, in this moment, if we've put our trust in Jesus, couldn't be in a better place with God. We couldn't be in a more right standing place. Isn't that good to know if you've made that decision? No matter what's going on, that I'm there. And uh, I love this quote. I'm just going to read it to you. Bron's quoted it many times. Um, Timothy Keller. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. The Bible again. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Jesus died for the ungodly. And God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He, of course, has made us righteous. The righteous will flourish. But it's more than that in this context, isn't it? It's not just that we've been made right and declared righteous. It's those who live and walk in the way of the righteous. And it's important those two things come together. I see sometimes that people get confused, Christians get confused, and they think, why does it not work out? And sometimes it really is that though they might be saved, they're, they're, they're not pursuing the way of the righteous. And I'm not sure how all that works, and I'm not here to judge who goes to heaven and who doesn't. Well, God will work all of that out. But, but what I do know is there is the way of the righteous, and, and, and God's got more for us than to just spend our whole lives trying to draw us to go after him but that he draw us in a way that that surrender would then become him leading us. And there is an incredible place to live the way of the righteous and it will flourish. Proverbs again, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the wicked um, lead them astray. 
Proverbs 10.21, the lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. The righteous care about the justice of the poor, but the wicked have no concern. Like a muddied spring or a polluted well are the righteous who give way to the wicked. The righteous give um, without sparing. I thought it said without sharing. I'm thinking, no, that doesn't work. Um, the righteous give without sparing. There's a way of living that is the way of the righteous that makes sense to us. And in the way of the righteous, we set up to flourish. Number two, um, it says here, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Now, if you've been around as long as me, you've heard there used to be famous sermons around this scripture all the time. And it's always about your local church. Who's been in that sermon? The local church, planted in that. And I believe that's true. But it's, it's, it's not the whole story, is it? Uh, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. And I've just put number two, soak in sacred soil. It's got to be planted to flourish. I think Soph prayed that prayer before. It's just got to be planted to flourish. Deep roots in sacred soil, in good soil. Um, the truth is that, you know, you, when you see someone, you say, how are you? And I'm shocked at people's response to my answer to that at the moment because I will say, I've never been better in my life. I've never been better in my life. And it's true, I'm just in a fortunate place. I'm in a good season. And someone said to me recently, I said, Darren, you always say that. I went, oh, well, no, I really, really mean I've never been better in my life than right now. And and honestly, the only thing I can put it down to is that life is less chaotic and I've got space on the fringes and then I've got extended time with God in the morning. And it's the sacred soil in this season of my life that really I can say I've never been better across all of my days. Probably helps that we're not bankrupt. Probably helps that we're not broke. But deep down, I know that it's, it's that. So, you know, the sacred soil in your life, it's so vital um, to flourishing. I think we've got this image, Katie, might have a wedding image there somewhere, I hope. And uh, there we go, there's our wedding day. Yeah, Bronwyn, Hilary Bunnell, there's my niece Bree who goes to our church. There's Julie Coleman. But look at the amazing Bronwyn, Hilary Bunnell. And uh, that's, now what I noticed, I went to a wedding on Friday and that wedding wasn't that different to mine. Stylistically, it was different. The venue was different. It was much funnier than my wedding. It was way less chaotic. We had over 300 people plus 70 kids. Yeah, I know. Who would do that? I can tell you who won't do it again if we ever renew our vows. Bron and I have said we will not be doing that again if we ever renew our vows. But what I noticed about that wedding and our wedding and weddings in the time of Jesus when Jesus turned water into wine and the church tried to turn wine back into water for the next 2,000 years. What I noticed about that is, that is that whilst it all changes, some things never do. The vital, essential center never does. The, the, you can go back 2,000 years and there'll be the vows before God. There, there, there'll be, right, there'll be, there'll be a party. And in a Christian context... There'll be the consummation of the wedding vows and what is meant to be sex for the first time with your spouse. Well, move forward to 1992 when I got married, it was still the same. Those three elements were still there and, 
and you move forward to Friday and the wedding we're at, those three elements are still to be at the core of the Christian wedding and they will serve us well till Jesus returns. And in the same way, the sacred soil, I feel like it's found in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the opening of scriptures, to gathering in the temple courts and from house to house in simplicity of heart. They, they broke bread and, you know, and they, they had meals, they had communion, they went out and prayed for people and prayed for healing and miracles and all of that. And, and they just continued to be generous and, and all the things that flow out. And I think the vital essentials of sacred soil haven't shifted in 2,000 years. The methods might and the modes might, but the vital essentials of sacred soil haven't shifted. And you and I, we need it, don't we? We need, we need sacred soil. I need sacred soil. Uh, I love podcasts and I love reading, but I need more than that. I need the fellowship of people. I need the gathering of God's people. You know, we need the working of the Holy Spirit. I know we're restricted, but when you were singing Amazing Grace, man, my heart was moved, right? It was like I started, something started to stir in me and something started to stir on the inside of me. And if we'd had room to pray for people or something or have been a slightly different environment, that would have broken out in the unrestricted gathering of God's people. And so just the sacred soil. And, and in this season, what of the sacred soil does your life really need? And then just thinking about that, the sacred soil, what does it need? Just coming in, does it need to be more worshipful? What needs to go on for you? And getting that going on in our life. And then my final thought um, here today as I wrap, it says, the righteous will flourish proclaiming the Lord's upright, the Lord is upright, he is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. Uh, what's your righteous confession in this, in this season? What, what does it need to be? What, what's, the, what's the confession you need at the core of, of your life in this season? Because the righteous, it talks about the seasons, talks about being evergreen, being ever fruitful, but what's the confession you need in the season that you're in? Um, I love this, Proverbs 28 verse 1. The righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous are in our confession, bold as a lion. Have you ever seen a timid lion? I was trying to think, have I ever seen an image of a retreating lion? Now, they, they may exist, they probably do, but I've never seen it. I've never, I can't imagine a retreating lion. What I can imagine is a lion stalking its prey. What I can imagine is when a lion goes in for the kill. What I can imagine is a lion walking down an African, you know, dusty track standing tall and proud. Lions are bold by their very God-given genetics. I don't know how it works, but the righteous, the Bible says, are as bold as lions. And I think that in our confession, let's continue to have that. What does your life need in terms of a bold confession right now? Let's not lose that. You know, we're living in a COVID period. Let's not lose a bold confession. Some people will say things. You know, sometimes I'll hear people say things like, the church doesn't care. God help me. Let that never be my confession. You know, let that never be my confession. Oh, that, that people of, I don't know what it is, let it never be my confession. You know, whatever it is, but I want a bold confession. I want a faith-given confession. It's grounded in the word. I don't know. I got, I got pretty discouraged at one point. And um, I remember I just started to requote, and I still am, Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Darren, be strong. Darren, be courageous. Be a person of courage. Be a person of rare 
courage. And uh, be a person of courage. Don't, do not be timid. Don't be timid, Darren. Don't be timid. Don't be discouraged. What does discourage look like, Darren? Like These are the conversations I have with myself. What does discouragement look like? Yeah, well, don't be that. What does timidity look like, Darren? Don't be that. But be strong and courageous. Why? Because God is with you. And when's he with me? Wherever I go. No matter where I go, God's with me. Wow, I, what about you? What's, what's your confession in this season? The righteous, it says here, they flourish and they have a proclamation on their lips. What's your proclamation? And just get that steadfast. What are you going through? Find a proclamation that goes with it. What's going on in your life? Find a, a biblical proclamation that goes with it and embed it deep and let it be strong coming out of our lips and on in our hearts and stirring in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.